Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today I'm talking with Steve Statler, Chief Marketing Officer and ESG Lead at Williot. Welcome, Steve. Patrick, it's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks for having us. So let's start off with a little bit about yourself. Can you tell us about you? And I think you even have your own podcast. Yeah, it's it's called the Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT Podcast, and it actually predates my work here at Williot, which started back in the middle of 2017. Uh, I was the first person to join Williot outside of the core engineering team who are, uh, were designing chips at the time in Israel. And uh, my background is in Bluetooth beacon technology. I uh, led strategy at Qualcomm Retail, uh, which pioneered the first national deployment of Bluetooth beacons in a retailer. It was actually in the Apple stores and Ended up writing a book called Beacon Technologies, which got me a teaching job at a RFID conference, which got me this job when the CEO of Williot and co-founder was just starting the company. And so it's been an incredible journey over the last few years. Uh, We've worked with uh, 30 Fortune 500 companies. We're we're now in the middle of large-scale deployments with two of the largest retailers in the world, connecting things that previously have never been connected to the internet. So that's kind of the nature of ambient IoT. It's connecting everyday things, food, clothing, medicine, and connecting them to the things that surround us. And uh, hence, you have the ambient everywhere and, and surrounding us. So let's step back to, you know, 5G release 19 will be kind of the start of 5G advanced. You know, what are some of the key features there related to this area? Well, it's a work in progress. So I want to caveat, uh, offer a few caveats. We are active in the standards effort at both 3GPP working on release 19. And uh, there's also a uh, An IEEE group are working on something called AMP, which is about to get its two-letter designation. So this, and of course, we also work closely with the Bluetooth SIG. So there's actually three radio standards, maybe even a fourth one coming along that's going to be supporting ambient IoT. But basically, it looks very, very likely that ambient IoT will be part of release 19. It's basically... Uh, The work is being done in the plenary uh, uh, committee for the radio access network, the systems architecture team. And so, I mean, at a high level, the feature is an IoT tag, which will cost pennies, hopefully significantly less than 10 cents, that will communicate assets, all the traditional IoT assets, but also things like food and medicine and uh, clothing and your passport and driver's license and your record collection, if you still have a record collection, your socks, will all be connectable through a device that previously has cost hundreds of dollars. And this is all going to be boiled down to something that is the size of a postage stamp and uh, doesn't have batteries that powers itself by getting its energy from the radio environment around it. So that energy today, we have a product that does that. It's scaling, uh, will uh, make of the order of 100 million units this year. And we're on track to make somewhere between one and 10 billion units next year. And that's without the work that we're doing with 3GPP. That's Bluetooth. 
So the, the difference about what we're doing with 3GPP is us and doubtless a host of competitors will be producing a similar product, only the energy is likely to be harvested from license spectrum and the communication is likely to be through license spectrum. So what we have today with Bluetooth is we're using the ISM bands, the 2.4 gigahertz, the unlicensed bands. So all of that communication is free. That's good. And unregulated, maybe not so good. You're not necessarily, you're not going to get a quality of service metric from anyone in the Bluetooth spectrum. But the exciting thing about the, uh, the wireless community getting in this is they can do, you know, go the next step in terms of providing a predictable source of energy from even more devices than we can access at the moment with Bluetooth. And they can start to give the kind of robustness that you get from managed spectrum. And they can layer on extra services that you don't get from unlicensed spectrum. So uh, customer service and governance around privacy and extra value-added facilities to do data sharing. Because it turns out when you connect products to the internet, more than one entity can get value from that. If you start to tag inventory in a supply chain, then there's huge value for manufacturers seeing where their products are flowing up upstream and downstream. And there's value for retailers. And it turns out there's also value for consumers. So the details uh, are still being negotiated of exactly, you know, what's the modulation technique that we're going to use? And will this, you know, what exactly is the bill of materials for the device? But it looks very, very likely that there will be something that's ambient, so very low cost, tiny, and something without batteries, which means it's more sustainable and can be embedded inside other products. So at the moment, we sell these stickers that have an FCC logo and a Bluetooth logo on. Those will eventually disappear and they you won't even see them. They'll be in the fabric of cardboard boxes, in the care label of the garment, and deep inside the injection mold of the reusable uh, plastic crate that will suddenly go online and be visible. So I'll pause there. That was a lot. Hopefully it's given you a a flavor for what's uh, being worked on. So I'm curious, how is that different or the same as RFID tags? Excellent question. So RFID really pioneered IoT, but it's a, it was born before the internet was really invented, certainly before the cloud was popularized. And it was kind of the first attempt at creating an internet of things. But so the differences between ambient IoT, well, let's first of all, start off with the similarities. An RFID tag, the kind of thing that you see stuck on the price label on uh, in many apparel stores, if you go to Zara and companies like that, H&M, you'll see RFID tags on uh, attached by a bit of string, typically but not embedded because RFID kind of starts and stops in the store. It doesn't go into the home. So Ambient IoT will open up the applications because it will talk to consumer devices and it will talk to things like Wi-Fi access points and uh, other radio infrastructure 
small cells, pico cells, things like that. RFID today require the tags are very cheap. They're just a few pennies, like Ambient IoT, very low cost tags. But the infrastructure, the readers, cost thousands of dollars. If you have a handheld reader, it can be a couple of thousand dollars. Ambient IoT readers, if it's your phone, it's essentially no cost. You've already got a phone. And so you take, and if uh, it's likely that you might want extra readers because your phone often moves with you. But an Ambient IoT reader, and we use them in the Bluetooth world, is basically 100 times cheaper than an RFID reader. So we're talking like $20, $30, that ballpark, as opposed to $2,000 or, or even more. Some of these big RFID readers can be tens of thousands. And if you have a phase array of readers throughout the entire store, you could be talking about millions of dollars of capital equipment. And so the result is RFID, because the infrastructure is kind of expensive and it was designed decades ago, the, the original principles were at least, you tend to get a snapshot and it's a bit like a black and white snapshot. So it's a moment in time. And if you kind of think back to early photography, you had that generational photograph, a guy with a, a tripod and a big camera and the gunpowder goes off and you get this sepia picture of, it's a generational picture. Maybe there was five other pictures of the family gathered together. That's it. That's kind of where RFID is. You maybe, if you're lucky, see stuff leaving the distribution center. You probably don't see products coming into stores and you certainly don't see where they go into the home. With Ambient IoT, you get 4K streaming video metaphorically. So you have lots and lots of readers, they're everywhere. So you get a real time view of where every single item is. Um, and you don't just get the location and the identity, but you get things like temperature and humidity and other things that are very useful for a cold chain, which is very relevant for medicine and food. And so we have this, with ambient IoT, we have a level of visibility that can make supply chains much, much more efficient. Like, I would say twice as efficient. So uh, half the amount of capital tied up in the supply chain doing the same job as before. And the opportunity to improve food safety, imp improve uh, the efficacy of medicine. We've built Ambient IoT into vials of COVID vaccine for one of the biggest manufacturers of that. And we from that, that was not just saying, yeah, this is the real thing. This is proper COVID vaccine. But we were measuring the temperature. We could measure dilution and fill level. So there's a future where with Ambient IoT, we can start to have the packaging for food products understand when the food's out of date, when there's products that are missing from your pantry, when you've got twice of one thing and not enough of another. There's a level of visibility that you just couldn't get with RFID. So that's kind of a high level answer. We can go into more of the detail. There's some radio aspects to this. RFID uses backscatter and ambient IoT can use backscatter, but we think the best way is an active radio. That's why all of our tags have an FCC logo on it. And the, you know, the difference between RFID passive and ambient IoT active is that you have to have a very strong signal 
with RFID and it basically remodulates that signal, bounces it back and you get a weaker signal. With an active tag, then it looks the same, got a very, very small capacitor built into it. But the key difference it being active is you can take weak signals from commodity radios that are two orders of magnitude cheaper, accumulate the energy, and then send out a stronger signal than the one that was received. And that basically is the key to reducing the cost of the infrastructure and making the infrastructure pervasive and essentially free. And so although you can have active RFID, it's the exception rather than the rule, and it's typically not used for the communications channel, it's used for for other things. So that is a very long answer to a very short question, but hopefully it gave you a sense of a little bit of the radio difference and the implications in terms of the cost of the infrastructure and why that opens up you know, more visibility rather than just snapshots. Yeah, I understand perfectly now. So, you know, focusing on that, you know, what does this mean for mobile and telecommunications companies? You know, what can they do with this technology? Well, I think this is a huge, huge boon. I mean, to be frank, I think IoT, whilst it's a relevant part of the the business for, for carriers and the equipment manufacturers, it's really not hugely significant. Ambient IoT could be a business that dwarfs the current data business and even the communications, the voice communications business. It could be, it can unlock massive value from food safety, healthcare efficacy, massive savings in supply chain. So if we look at it at a macroeconomic level, the kind of value that Release 19 can unlock is huge. And, you know, I don't think anyone would claim that the sort of the early, you know, the last few releases, they've been significant and no question, you know, major technical steps forward. But I don't think much of it really is moving the needle in terms of the revenue. And, you know, think about it in this way, how many connections does a typical carrier have? They're some close, small multiple of the number of subscribers they have. So maybe it's two devices per subscriber, maybe it's more. What we're talking about here is three orders of magnitude increase in things that are connected. And so, you know, the connections metric, it becomes silly. It's like, if you look at the ABI numbers just for Bluetooth ambient IoT, they say the addressable market is 10 trillion units. Now, if we look at the size of the IoT market at the moment, it's about 30 to 40 billion units. So we're talking about a massive increase in connected things. And, you know, I believe that for a carrier, this is an opportunity to drive upgrades in handsets at the very least. (laughs) Huge number of, there's a lot of infrastructure sales. More importantly, There's new categories of recurring revenue, subscription revenue, platform as a service revenue that can be gained. Now, the challenge is you're probably not going to be charging $35 a connection for for those trillions of things. So the carrier is going to have to think about new billing models, and it's probably going to have to be linked to value, i.e. number of assets that are actually not just tagged, but being used. So this is not like selling 
SIM activations, you know, the billing companies need to think about uh, how they approach this, the likes of Amdocs and so forth. They need to take the friction out of this. But the carrier, basically, there's a huge value chain and rich value that the carriers can tap into. There's a lot of extra kit that I think if you want to extend coverage into every shipping container, then there's for the equipment manufacturers, that's huge. I think there'll be a good business case for upgrading the infrastructure in enterprises to support release 19 ambient. And I think there's a set, there's a role that carriers can play for things like privacy management. So let's let's fast forward. Let's imagine we've got 6G, we've gone beyond release 19. And you and I are in our homes and we can potentially have everything in our drinks cabinet, our medicine cabinet, our wardrobe and our pantry is online. And we're in this world where the supply chain just got a lot more efficient and we're subscribing to herbs and spices and our favorite gin and our son who's relying on an auto injector with insulin can be sure that the insulin has been kept at the right temperature. Maybe we don't feel comfortable with the carrier seeing our alcohol consumption. You know? And even though the idea of never running out of gin is very appealing, it's just a step too far. Who am I going to call to opt out of that in a world of unlicensed spectrum? It's problematic that we'll know to phone up Gilby's or uh, Bombay Sapphire and how do we opt in or opt out? But I have that 611 number, and it would be very easy for me to say, look, I want my medicine cabinet online, uh, but I only want the provider of the auto injector to see the data. And I really like the fact that I don't have to think about shopping and you just, and I'm not subscribing and getting a bunch of uh, oversupply of coffee beans or whatever. I, my pantry's got leaner, I'm wasting less, I'm saving money. I want the pantry to be online. And my daughter, my wife doesn't want H&M to know her dress size or keep track of how long, how often she's wearing the clothing. But guess what? My daughter loves this rent the runway service. And she loves the idea of being able to change her clothing every two months to be the most fashionable thing. So who's going to take that call? In my mind, it's got to be the carrier that can manage the, the governance, the privacy and the data ownership that, that goes with those use cases. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So these won't be transmitting a lot of data, but there'll be a, a huge number of them. Does that affect the network infrastructure? So I think yes is the short answer. That's my shortest answer to you in, in the <laughs> podcast. But you know what we're seeing is, on one hand, in the early days when we connected our tags to our partners, our software partners, they would say, stop. This is like you just took my garden hose and you connected it to a fire hydrant. And I'm getting this mass of data and it was expensive. Since that, that was like the pre-version one, version one days. We're on version two and version three is coming out and version four is going to come out after, after that, which will be very fun. Now, what we've done is we put a bunch of intelligence at the edge. And so this is a multi-tier architecture. You have tags and you have edge devices, and you have the cloud. And so there's a huge amount of caching, filtering that goes on. And so I don't think, you know, one of the first things that people worry about is, oh, I've got a, 
I have a retail store. There's 100,000 items. They're all broadcasting in real time. So I know where everything is. That's great in terms of staffing and, uh, you know, ordering online and actually being able to find the thing that I ordered. But it's going to saturate the spectrum. And, and what we figured out how to manage that. It's a manageable problem. My desk is in front of a thousand tags that are broadcasting constantly. And I can still use my mouse and wireless keyboard and uh, earbuds. No problem. And so basically, that that's all, you know, I believe, uh, assuming we may learn from our past learnings, that can all be managed and we can have something that's real time and pervasive without saturating the spectrum and without having to have expensive edge devices. Yeah, there's going to have to be some edge firmware and we'll have to choose the right modulation techniques and choose the right channels and all that sort of stuff. But it's all manageable. That's very exciting. Sounds like a great opportunity in a lot of areas. So what is the projected timeline for the release and implementation of ambient IoT? Well, I hesitate to answer that question specifically, A, because I don't think it's my job to uh, telegraph how these working groups are progressing. And also, you know, we don't get to control it. Williot is contributing, but there's a ton of massive, you know, Think of the biggest brands in technology. They're all working on this too. So we don't get to decide. What I think is, you know, you can imagine in, in the three or four years time is when we'll start to, it's the kind of thing, what I have in my mind in terms of when we'll start to see these kinds of devices. So we've got, there's a lot of work to be done. I'm not saying that, the work doesn't start then, really the work starts now. And I think everyone that's in the equipment business, everyone that's a carrier needs to start thinking about the, the new business paradigms and preparing because it's not just a technology that stands on its own. There's a set of, uh, uh, there's a set of business models. There's a set of use cases that people need to start thinking about. So I, I feel good about this. You know, one thing that they can do is start using the technology as it exists today to start to build up competency and learn. So learn from Bluetooth, ambient IoT, and then you'll know a lot. You'll be ready for for release 19. And uh, because this is, it'll take an ecosystem. There's plenty of work and opportunity for everyone in this new future, whether you're a carrier whether you're an equipment manufacturer, whether you're a tag manufacturer. I think that the people that make these tags may well be the RFID tag manufacturers using a lot of the same equipment. that they, They'll just swap the chip over, essentially. Yeah. That's yeah. completely trivializing it. But, you know, that's essentially what we do today with our uh, with our IoT pixels. It's We take the same machines that make RFID. We put in a Bluetooth chip and a tiny capacitor, and that's it. So... There's opportunities for systems integrators, software providers, management consultants, big one for management consultants to think about the strategy. So it seems like it's a long way off, but actually we need to start now getting ready for it. Well, exciting. I learned a lot about it today. So thank you, Steve, for uh, talking with me about Ambient IoT. We'll look forward to maybe an update with you and down the road so we can see how you're progressing along. To our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com. Thanks for listening.